And Sheriff Swanson, why don't you think more police haven't done what you have done? Well, I can tell you that uh, sometimes police see dropping your swords and being vulnerable is a sign of weakness. Our community has been hurt. There would be swift accountability, and there should be, and it should be that way for every single American if this country is to be fair for all people. You wonder why America is outraged at this point, and it has to stop. That's why we're doing this show today. That's why we're having this conversation. George Floyd was killed in broad daylight in the streets of Minneapolis. No policeman came to his aid. In fact, it was a policeman who has been charged with his murder. Today, we are speaking to black Americans whose voices must be heard. Enough is enough, and I am making my platform available as a catalyst for long overdue change. George Floyd was treated as subhuman by a police officer who employed procedures known to be dangerous and sometimes deadly when he pressed his knee into the helpless man's neck for over eight minutes as the man begged for his life and cried out for his mother. Standing by were three fellow police officers who ignored the outraged screams of onlookers and Floyd himself pleading that he couldn't breathe as he addressed them respectfully as officer. Floyd's senseless death further ignited a fuse that has long been burning in our country, leading to nationwide outrage and a demand for racial equality. Across America, there have been examples of police officers who do understand what needs to be done, police officers who have knelt in solidarity with the protesters, dropping their weapons and standing with the people. It should be our goal right now to make sure everyone who swears the oath to serve and protect follows that example and embraces that mentality because right now, America is on fire, both literally and figuratively. Protesters have taken to the streets across America, outraged over the death of George Floyd in police custody. The protests were in response to the death of George Floyd, the unarmed black man who died in police custody Monday. This 10-minute video posted to Facebook overnight shows Minneapolis police officers holding down a man. One officer uses his knee to pin the man's neck down. Several times during the arrest, the man tells officers that he's struggling to breathe and begs for some relief. Please. I can't breathe, officer. 
Being black in America should not be a death sentence. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin has been taken into custody. Derek Chauvin has been charged by the Hennepin County Attorney's Office with murder and with manslaughter. A sheriff is gaining attention for what he did at a protest in Flint, Michigan. Take a look at this. We want to be with y'all for real. So I took the helmet off and laid the batons down. I want to make this a parade, not a protest. In Louisiana, KTAL-TV caught this police officer consoling and hugging a young man. This played out yesterday at a Black Lives Matter march in Shreveport. What do we want? When do we want it? Civil rights activists say the unrest is years of pent-up frustration with city leaders and police. This is not the legacy of civil rights in America. This is chaos and we're buying into it. Let's switch it up, y'all. Let's switch it up. Yes. Amen. Do this peacefully. For years, I have worked with attorney S. Lee Merritt covering the stories of innocent, unarmed black men and women, some murdered in cold blood many times without immediate consequences. Frankly, I'm sick and tired of booking him on the show over and over to talk about the same story with just different names and different scenarios, but all involving victims with the same color of skin. Now this is a man that I have come to respect greatly because of his passion and his sincerity. And it is time to join him in taking action. I'm standing up and speaking out and I encourage all of you to do the same. Lee, thank you so much for joining us once again. It's so sad that we have to do this, but I'm glad to join you in this such an important fight. Dr. Phil, thank you for having me again. And I really appreciate your willingness to take this on as a, on a broader uh, level, as opposed to, like you said, a case by case scenario. Well, you know, you've been the go-to guy. I mean, you're the one that steps into the breach and helps these people. But now you have essentially become the national spokesperson. You take these families and you lead them through this maze. And right now, there are black people in America. They've been at war since you were born, Lee. This is something you've just absolutely grown up with, true? Yeah, this time is really reminding me of where I was, I was born in South Central Los Angeles during the LA riots that preceded uh, the brutal beating of Rodney King and the murder of a young girl named Latasha Harlan, who was shot in the back of the head by a liquor store owner uh, because she suspected her of uh, shoplifting orange juice. Neither the men who assaulted uh, Mr. King or the woman who, who, who killed Natasha Harlan ever spent a day in jail. And a lot of that is impacting how I'm reacting to the, um, the reaction in the streets today. Why is this continuing to happen and what is your involvement in George Floyd's case? I believe it, it, it finds its root in a system of racialized control that has existed in this, this country since the advent of slavery. Black people in America have always been subject to dehumanization, to um, forced labor, uh, to control. It's the system of white supremacy that has changed forms in this country, it's moved from slavery to Jim Crow to now a system of mass incarceration or the criminalization of blackness itself. Until we deal with the heart of the matter, I think this will continue to happen. And I don't think that the nation is ready for a reckoning yet. 
you and I know, have a mutual friend and Ben Crump who has been a mentor to me. Uh, and we've worked a lot of these cases together. He's helping me out in the Ahmaud Arbery case. And he asked me to come and help him out on uh, uh, this case involving Mr. George uh, Floyd. You and Ben and I have worked together before and, and we were together just sadly not very long ago on Ahmad's case. And when you got involved in this case, I mean, it was so tragic to watch that video. And then we see th this first autopsy that came out about George Floyd. What is the latest autopsy? What does it say and how does it contradict the first report? Well, the latest autopsy tells us what really anyone's eyes would have told them, that the cause of death for Mr. Floyd was asphyxia, cut off a circulation of air and blood to the brain as a result of a deep compressions, both to the neck and to the lungs, uh, depriving them of oxygen and causing his death. Now, the first autopsy report didn't say that, but again, Dr. Phil, you know this, those autopsy reports are not highly reliable and they often have conclusions that support the state, even when the, when the, the physical evidence and the facts don't bear that out. Well, you talked about the dehumanization of this. As, as, as I watched this tape and saw the use of, of the knee uh, to the neck, which you and I both know is just absolutely not approved. And during that time, George is not even regarded as a human being. He's not listened to. There's no eye contact. He is completely disregarded as he's pleading for his life. And bystanders are pleading for his life. That is indicative of a culture where officers know that that is okay. How is that happening in Minneapolis, Minnesota? Well, it's happening because, as you stated, there's a culture of lack of accountability. And it's not only in Minnesota, all across the country, uh, are the American police, they kill up to 1,100 people a, a year on average. And less than 1% of those cases ever resulted in an indictment. So police officers can go about their job of brutalizing more people than any other nation in the modern world with confidence that they will likely not face consequences. I believe that as long as that remains true, we will continue to see this kind of thing happen over and over again. And that's certainly been the case in the example we're talking about here. Uh, next, as the civil unrest continues, what can we do moving forward? Plus, Lee is gonna answer that question because he has a plan. He's talking about action, not just words. Have you watched that video of your brother's arrest? I watched the video. It was hard, but I had to watch the video. And as I watched the video, those four officers, they executed my brother. The paramedics, they drug him across the ground without administering CPR. They showed no empathy, no compassion. Nobody out there showed it. Nobody. Today, as protests continue to erupt across America and nightly curfews and tensions at an all-time high, we're here to discuss what we can do to stand by black Americans and make a change. And we're joined again by my friend, attorney Lee Merritt. Lee, what do you think about what's happening in the streets right now? The protest, the marches, everything that's been happening over the last five or six days? 
Dr. Phil, this might sound a little strange, but this past week is the only thing that has made sense to me. We, we've lived in a country for a long time that has been very oppressive, systematically oppressive to the African-American community and the legal system that has offered families and communities no remedy. And so to see people take to the streets in response to that seems right to me. Uh, however, I would like to see those same people be able to direct that righteous indignation towards actual solutions. And you have just launched a very, very important program. Tell us what it is and describe your three-step process. We believe that the solution uh, to this predicament that we find ourselves in is going to come both at a grassroots level locally, but also at a federal level. When you talk about a three-part plan, one of the first major parts is going back to Capitol Hill and talk about long-term legislative solutions to the issue of police brutality, the issue of uh, incarceration, and really the, the issue of dehumanization of, uh, of the Black population. When I evaluate American society, I don't only compare it to itself, but I compare it to our neighbors. We have the United Nations as a platform. So when nations are in violation, of the human rights of a certain sector of its population. There is a human rights council that can hear those grievances and when appropriate apply sanctions to the, to the nations uh, that are in violation. Uh, and so we believe that the family of uh, George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor should go before the United Nations with their grievances as well. And then lastly, we as a community on a local level have to, have to take steps to punish uh, people who repeatedly violate the human rights of, of our citizenry. And, and those people right now is law enforcement. So we, uh, we need to encourage, for example, uh, businesses to divest from law enforcement when they continue to be abusive towards citizens' rights. We saw that an example of that here in Minnesota where the University of Minnesota has decided that it would no longer employ the Minneapolis Police Department to police its campus. Uh, that kind of divestment, that kind of economic impact should be repeated all throughout the country until law enforcement officers uh, show a greater commitment to upholding and protecting the, the rights of all. That is such an important plan and, and program that you've got. And let me again commit to you my platform. I've got millions of viewers. I've got millions of followers. And as I've said before, my platform is your platform, my friend. And tell us the name of, of the website where people can go to learn more about this. We're launching a new website tomorrow. Earlier this week, we launched a website called Stop uh, Excessive Force. And that was really in reaction to the kind of abuses that we see directed at protesters who are protesting the system that already exists. We had to create a mechanism to respond directly to that, stopexcessiveforce.com, and then a greater plan, um, the Grassroots Law Project, that would, that would help us implement the three-part plan that I talked about earlier. So to be clear, Lee's new website is grassrootslaw.org. All right, Lee, thank you so much for talking to me, and we'll make sure that we sound this long and hard. And seriously, my friend, I'm, I'm right by your side. I really appreciate your help in all this. And I guess this is just a side note. I saw the unrest Friday night and it bothered me and I wondered what was going on back home. And we have a yes. police chief there, Police Chief Renee Hall, who's new and the first African-American female police chief of, of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I called her Saturday morning and I said, you know what, 
why don't we be an example to the rest of the country? Because we had a pretty good relationship or have a pretty good relationship. I said, why don't you try de-escalation? Why don't you try to get your officers to come out uh, and march with the people and hear the grievances and de-escalate the situation, the strategy that we tell police officers to do on the streets? She absolutely scoffed at that and refused to do it. Seriously? It blew my mind. She agreed fundamentally with the idea of de-escalation, but she said now wasn't the appropriate time for it. She said someone threw a brick at her on Friday night and that she was bringing in the National Guard and that she would that she would stomp it out. Maybe she was still shaken up from having that brick thrown at her. And I wonder if she'll talk to me about it. Yeah, I think it would be worth reaching out to her because instead of having a beautiful protest, more businesses were vandalized, more people were injured, and it was and she had every opportunity ahead of time. And so, I mean, it, it really bothered me. And I, and I, and I, like I said, I've supported her up until now, but I think I was going to call for a resignation. Maybe before I do that, maybe you can talk to her. Well, why don't I try? Why don't I, why don't I reach out to her and, and talk to her? Maybe she'll, I don't know, maybe she'll reconsider her position. All right, coming up, we'll speak to an activist from Black Lives Matter. Her speech went viral after she demanded Americans do better. That's next. I did reach out to Chief Hall personally, and my producer reached out to her office, who said that the chief was just too busy and just didn't have time to respond or participate. I do plan to continue efforts to bring these two together in hopes of a resolution. the cops. Do your job. Do what you say this country is supposed to be about, the land of the free for all. It has not been free for black people and we are tired. Don't talk to us about looting. Y'all are the looters. Today as protests continue to erupt across America and nightly curfews being set in major cities, racial tensions are at an all-time high. I want to do my part by using my platform to hear from black Americans to let them know that their pain is our pain. Their injustice is our injustice. We are here to listen to what they have to say. Joining us now are activist Mallory. Her speech about these protests went viral. She is a leader and organizer of the Women's March and Black Lives Matter. We're also joined by author, activist, and host of BET News, Mark Lamont Hill. I have to say I'm a fan of both of these folks. Thank you both for sharing your perspective today. Tamika, let me start with you. You are very much uh, a voice of what's happening right now, and, and thank God for that. Tell me what you think about where we are five or six days uh, into the, the, the protest and the marches after George Floyd's death. I think there is an incredible resistance movement that is happening across this country. And it's no longer just a black march or a black issue. Uh, I think we have passed a point where it is isolated to just one incident or to just one community or to just one um, you know, particular issue. We are now seeing a resistance coming from this country that is not just about the death of George Floyd, but it's really about the humanity of Black folks in America. We have come to a point, a boiling point, where people are no longer willing to ask for 
to beg for change. We are demanding change. And it is evident in what you see on the streets of America, again, from all different types of people. I've been marching next to grandmothers and children. People are tired and enough is enough. Well, there's no question it, it's going to take demand and then it's going to take accountability once people start saying that change is, is going to happen. Mark, let me know your perspective on this right now. Uh, I, I agree with Tamika. It, it's never been about one thing in particular. I always say if black people were to march or to engage in civil disobedience or rebellion, every time there was a bad shoot, every time there was an all unlawful killing, we'd be rebelling and, and fighting in the streets all day. Uh, but there are moments in history where we have to respond to systems of injustice. And from March until now, our community has been hurt. I, I'm, I'm watching people respond, not just to the bullets of police officers and not just the guns of, of, of civilians in places like Georgia with Ahmaud Arbery. I'm also watching people feel unprotected and undefended by the state when it comes to COVID-19. So for months, you have people who feel vulnerable. They feel subjected to premature death. And what you're seeing in the streets right now is a response to that. And so people certainly want justice in this case. People want uh, all the officers to be held accountable, not just one. Uh, but people want more than that. They want a sense of possibility that this current moment can be different. Well, let me ask you both. And I, I've shared my platform for years with Ben Crump and, and Lee Merritt. And I, I see... Uh, Things happen with Ahmad and George Floyd, the most two recent. If action took place when the authorities saw the Ahmad tape instead of when you saw the Ahmad tape, if action took place immediately when George Floyd uh, was killed in the streets instead of after everybody has to raise hell about it, would that make a difference in how you guys would feel, how black America would feel right now? 100%. There has to be accountability because we know that if it was the other way around and one of us uh, shot or a person of color shot and killed an officer, there would be swift accountability and there should be. And it should be that way for every single American if this country is to be fair for all people. Exactly. And Mark, you say there's an ethical responsibility for white people to get involved and help with this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, too often we see race work as black people's work and we see gender work as women's work. But it's actually quite the opposite. Right. Dr. Phil, you and I benefit from male privilege and, and white folk benefit from white privilege. And these are unjust systems and it's their job to dismantle it. But they should also be taking cues in, in, in leadership as allies from those who are catching the most help. And so I want all of my white friends, all of my white allies, all white folk who I haven't met before to be committed uh, to this work. And not just with a hashtag, not just running a marathon, but doing the long term work in terms of how they vote, in terms of their hiring practices, in terms of, of, of how they interact with people interpersonally, who they call the cops on or th thankfully, hopefully don't call the cops on. These types of things will have big impact on how we change the fabric of America. However, it is important to say that when white folks do join us in protests and in our movement, you have to be careful that your allyship does not overshadow mm -hmm. the people who are actually impacted by the issue. So we want the allyship. 
we appreciate it and we need people, white folks and every other person to show up for us, but show up for us. Don't show up and center yourself. That's such a great point. And Tamika, Mark, let, let me say, uh, I, I certainly offered a partnership with you and I offer my platform to both of you. My platform is yours and I, I hope to continue to work with you going forward. And I thank both of you for being here today. Thank, thank you. you. All right, coming up, a Congresswoman calls for police accountability, plus the officer who made headlines for taking off his helmet and standing in solidarity with protesters. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. In the wake of George Floyd's horrific death, protests across the country spread. And the response by police seemed to only further tensions between black Americans and law enforcement. But in Michigan, one sheriff stood out. He removed his helmet and stood with the people. Sheriff Chris Swanson joins us now from Michigan. We're also joined by my good friend, Congresswoman Karen Bass, who is calling for police departments to be held accountable. Let me begin with you, uh, Congresswoman Bass. How do you feel about what's happening in America after this tragic loss of George Floyd? We're really at a moral moment in our country. And so at some point we have to say, why do these things keep happening? What type of policy needs to change? On the one hand, I have been inspired to see the absolute rainbow in some cities you actually see very few African-Americans protesting. Most of the protesters are white. And I think that that is wonderful. On the other hand, the tragedy of the violence and the looting. And in my opinion, there's like an opportunist element, a political opportunist and a, a criminal opportunist element that takes the focus away from the policy changes that need to take place so that this doesn't keep occurring. I couldn't agree with you more, and it comes from the heart. The change has to come from the heart, and there has to be accountability. And Sheriff Swanson, why don't you think more police haven't done what you have done? Well, I can tell you that uh, sometimes police see dropping your swords and being vulnerable is a sign of weakness. And it is the farthest thing from weakness. Uh, Mr. Floyd changed American policing. Because now we see that by responding in a way of just listening and de-escalating, you can make history. And that's what happened in Flint, Michigan. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, one of the things that I have to say, sitting here as a, a white male in America, 
is I, I learned many years ago, I have to acknowledge as, as a white male that their white privilege is a real thing. It really exists. And I have to acknowledge that. I can walk in a store and not be followed. I can drive a nice car through any neighborhood and not be stopped because I'm driving a nice car. I can be pulled over by the police and not fear that this is the most dangerous five minutes of my life. And if I'm not willing to acknowledge that, then there's no way I can become a catalyst for change. And I wanna use my platform to give a voice. And Representative Bass, we, we have to, in the white community, we have to walk with all people of color to precipitate this change and make it at a policy level. How do we do it on the Hill? How do we do it as, as former President Obama just wrote about a few days ago at the local level as well? How do we precipitate that change? I do have to tell you that you just don't know how meaningful it is to hear your words about recognizing the difference. And then for the sheriff, that is just, I mean, it's quite emotional, the idea that he would do uh, what he did, because part of it has to be a cultural change within the police department. So when it comes to inner city communities, the police come in with a warrior mentality. Mm -hmm. When it comes to affluent communities, and in my district, I represent very affluent communities, and I represent the inner city, and policing is completely different on both sides of my district. Legislatively, the police, especially police unions, have been very powerful over the years, passing legislation that makes it virtually impossible to hold them, un, uh, uh, to hold them accountable. And so those are some of the policy issues that we are gonna roll out in the next week uh, congressionally. And then with my colleagues, elected officials, who are afraid to take a vote that is gonna make them look weak on quote unquote crime. And so we're gonna have to really push on the Hill with Democrats and with Republicans to say, this is a moral moment and we need to take a stand. This really makes us look bad around, you have protests all around the world against what is happening in the United States. And as we fight for human rights on the international stage, we absolutely have to fight for human rights at home. And protest is right. Protest is a righteous thing to do, and we fought to have that right in America. There's no question that we have to use that energy to bring about change. And Representative Bass, I just thank you so much for your words today. And uh, Sheriff Swanson, thank you so much, not only for what you did, but for your words of wisdom here today in challenging other officers to do the same thing. So thank you both. Very thank well. you. Coming up, America is at a boiling point as people are turning years of grief, frustration, and inequality into action and taking to the streets. The fires burning across our country are representative of the turmoil that has been brewing for decades. We'll talk to protesters who were there next. The protests that have ignited across the country are a result of years upon years of anger, frustration, and pain. These protests were happening right outside our door. We spoke to people who have taken to the streets desperate to have their voices be heard. They join us now. Cynthia Haskell and Genesis are a family 
who were at the protest, as were brothers Malachi and Akeem, also joining as Erica. Now, they are all from Los Angeles. Cynthia Haskell, let me start with the two of you. Uh, tell me what your reaction has been and what caused you guys as a family to want to be part of the protest about the death of George Floyd. Um, well, Dr. Phil, thank you so much for having us today. We're extremely honored to be here. I approached my husband on Friday evening before the Saturday protest, and I had been extremely vocal within a lot of our social media platforms about um, George Floyd um, seeing a murder of another black man. And I had already been very vocal about Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. And I approached my husband and I said, babe, I want to go to my first protest. And I didn't know what he was going to say, because I know he likes to protect Genesis and I, but he said, I want to partner with you. We're going. And so we definitely wanted to go to support and hope that the message would not be hijacked because in the media, it's kind of being hijacked more about violence and the destruction of property. And the message is continuing to be lost that brown men and women all over the country are not being protected by the very ones that we fund with our tax dollars. Um, we have personal experiences with my beautiful husband where he um, just goes out to run an errand and is gone for hours because he's been stopped by the police and harassed and, and um, embarrassed. And so it became a message for all of our friends and family. I, I believe you can have all the passion in the world, but if you don't match it with action, what are you doing? Haskell, tell me what made you decide this was the time to partner with Cynthia and, and put Genesis out there as well when you knew things that could get violent and dangerous? What made this the time to take action? I feel like because of the personal experiences that I've had when I was in college, went to Cal State Northridge, and I had police you know, experiences being, had to sit on um, hot curbs during the summer, my hands against hot hood of cars and being um, identified as someone that they thought I was. And then the fact that my daughter is at UCLA, she's in college, I wanted her to experience because I know her passion. Genesis, were you proud to be out there with your mother and father? I was extremely proud. I felt like I was given the opportunity to have my voice and my people's voices be heard. All the time, I feel like our voices are silenced and the stereotype has been perpetrated throughout social media and I wanted that to be to be broken. And this was a very peaceful protest. Yes, Our sign said, um, Black Lives Matter and what if I'm next? Or um, yeah. like just different things. Like I just really, really wanted for our message to be heard and George Floyd to get the justice that he deserved. Well, that's why I wanted you to be on this platform and make my platform available to you for your voices to be heard. Akeem and Malachi, growing up, did your parents have to teach you how to behave around uh, police? I grew up watching a whole lot of police brutality, and I know what it takes for a black man like me to walk while being black or drive while being black or even try to get a job while being black. I know how it is in the society that we live in. Which one of you is the oldest between the two of you? Me, I'm the eldest, Akeem. 
if you've been out there with your brother, uh, are you are are you worried? Do you do you look after him when you're out there, and are you concerned about the things that he's talking about? I am uh, concerned, and two, we we look after each other during the protests. We 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 wouldn't have problems. The problems are really stirring up from the high tensions. You know, as we rallied up with the people, there were no problems at all. So nobody had any problems to be fearful. But when the police actually came, that's when, that's when the problem arised. I, I can't tell you what it means that you care enough to take the action to be out there and, and, and actually march and and protest and make people pay attention to this. People uh, of all walks of life pay attention to this. And Erica, you, you have a message as well. What What is your message to white people? It's not necessarily to white people, I'll say it's to America in general. There needs to be a change because like we were all out there for a reason. We were out there from LA because in LA, like as you know, there's been 601 plus deaths by the police and there's only been one, one prosecution. And I just feel like we're tired of asking for freedom. We're tired of asking for justice. And we're just tired of asking for accountability in general because we have police out here turning off their body cams when people are being killed. We have people that they're able to do whatever they want under the law and they feel like that's okay just because the law protects them. When in reality, we're the ones paying the police. We're their boss. They should be protecting and serving us like they promised to. And I feel like that hasn't been happening for African-Americans and also Latinos. Erica, you were shot with a rubber bullet and you were tear gassed. Tell me exactly what you were doing when you were shot and tear gassed. Um, I really was out there just to help as much as I could for the movement that's going on right now. And I was basically trying to lead people from like two blocks away in Pacific Pan Pacific Park, and I was getting milk. I was help telling others, like, whatever you could grab, please grab and walk this way towards the front lines because people were out there and they needed help. So as I'm going to grab the water and the milk, when they um, came up closer, I try to grab it and move it back. They, I told them, like, I'm just coming here to grab the milk and water that I had bought. Like, I'm just grabbing that. Three of them decided to shoot me, even though I wasn't doing anything towards them. I wasn't hurting them. They saw my hands were full of water. I was running back the other direction, but they don't care if we're peaceful. They don't care what we're doing. They're inciting the violence towards us. Well, I am so sorry that that happened to you. I can't even begin to to say that just you're out there helping and that's just such a great thing for you to do. You didn't have to be out there. You didn't have to be helping, but you were, and that's such yeah, a great thing to do. The whole protest was very beautiful. Everyone from all races, all classes, they were all coming together as one and it was just, it was amazing. I've never seen something so amazing in my life. And that's that's the message that I want to get out, and that's why I wanted you to uh, be here today and, and join me on this platform. So thank you for doing that. So I want to thank Erica, Genesis, Cynthia, Haskell, Malachi, and Akeem. I want to examine what happened leading up to the death of George Floyd and the abhorrent behavior of the police over the eight minutes and 46 seconds, George Floyd had a knee on his neck. There are very clear signals of his brain shutting down as three others stand by and watch him as he pleads for his mother. 
and for them to let him breathe. That's right, I said just let him breathe. There's been a 911 call and George Floyd is sitting in his car. The police come and they eventually drag him out of his car. Chauvin, who has his knee in his neck and has 17 complaints against him, including one fatal shooting, and Tao, who has six complaints against him, who's holding the bystanders back. Clearly, what you've heard is him pleading, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Now, this technique of putting your knee in someone's neck is highly dangerous. It results in serious injury or death, but it was done here and it was done for over eight minutes. This is a 46-year-old man and he is pleading for his mother. This man's brain, in my opinion, is beginning to shut down. You are seeing regression. He is actually dying at this point. His last two statements, you're killing me and I can't breathe. No movement on the part of the police officers here. Bystanders yelling, screaming, please get off of him, you're killing him. EMTs come over, they check his pulse. People are yelling, get off of him, you're killing him. The officer continues to keep his knee on his neck uh, for several more minutes after this point, and then when the uh, EMT show up with the stretcher, he is completely lifeless at that point. You wonder why America is outraged at this point, and it has to stop. That's why we're doing this show today. That's why we're having this conversation. thank all of my guests for appearing today. If you're black in America, I want you to know that your voices are being heard and that we must stand together against racial inequality. And that is what I ask all of my viewers to do as well. It is not enough to say, I'm colorblind. No, you're not. You need to be more than that anyway. You need to be color sensitive. It's not enough to just say, I don't make a distinction. You need to be sensitive to the fact that people of color walk a different walk than we do in this world. We need to be sensitive to the fact that they have a different experience when they walk in a store or drive down the street. And we need to do something about it. And that begins by acknowledging that it's true because trust me, it is. For more information on how to become color sensitive, go to drphil.com. I want to leave you today with images of who George Floyd was, a loving son, brother, and friend. God bless. I remember him saying that, um, he, he wanted to touch the world. He wanted to, he wanted to have a, a worldwide impact. He's gonna be truly missed. And he's the type of guy that uh, was friendly to everybody. He didn't discriminate because you were Hispanic or you were black or you were white. 
he treat everybody with respect and that's what I love about him. He was not only my employee, he was my best friend. He stood up for people. He was there for people when they were down. He loved people that were thrown away. You can't fight fire with fire, you know? Everything just burns. And I, I've seen it all day today. People hate, they're hating. They're hating, they're hating, they're mad. And he would not want that, he wouldn't.